Hello, everybody, and welcome to this edition of the Master Instructor Roundtable. I'm Marty Miller, Regional Master Instructor, here with my fellow Ma Regional Master Instructor, Miss Wendy Batts. And of course, behind the scenes is our amazing producer, Eric. So, Wendy, welcome. Uh, thanks for thanks for having me, Marty. It's good hey, to be here. You know, it's good to have you every week. Maybe this is just something we always do. I don't know. I, I know we can't. We also can't forget about Greg, who's behind the no. scenes with Eric as well. So we want to say thanks to both of you guys for all you do. So absolutely, they keep us rolling every week. So mm -hmm. we are back with part two of the push up. We talked about a lot of different concepts last week and how to break it down, how to use it even part as an assessment. And here we are today with part two, going more into the program design, talking about how we can level up those push-ups. Yes, we got a lot of really great feedback, I think, from part one. So today we're really going to focus on how you program a push-up. Um, I think, you know, oftentimes we just think of a, a push-up as being a push-up and really don't think about how we can utilize it to its full potential throughout all phases of the model. So I'm super excited as always, but really excited today to kind of take one exercise that people can do anywhere um, and talk about progressions and regressions and some, you know, key pointers to think about while you're doing it. Um, for example, you know, last week we talked a lot about things to think about when you do an assessment and common compensations that should, you know, trigger, maybe it's not a good time or, you know, really focus on, you know, lengthening certain areas and activating certain areas before you do something as such as a push-up. Um, however, I, I, I do believe that when we kind of go through this today, you guys are going to walk out and be like, after part one and part two, you will be a push-up expert. <laughs> Without a doubt. And some of the feedback I got uh, on emails was, you know, Hey, thanks for breaking this down, but also making it understand that what you're teaching is still just a pushing component. It's not always just a push up. We talked about the exercise push up, but a lot of the things we talked about is how you could teach these concepts, you know, in a further regression. If somebody has to stand up and do bands or whatever it is, it's we're really truly talking about that pushing sequence movement pattern and progressions and regressions. And I think the, the key pointer, as you guys are going to see in the first bullet point, is you want to think about the phase of training. And unfortunately, because compensations exist and pretty much everyone that we see that walks in the door, um, you know, we usually start everyone in a stabilization, um, you know, the stabilization phase. And for that reason, one thing where people keep saying that phase one is so easy, I always challenge them and say, have you tried a push up? for 12 to 20 repetitions, utilizing a 4-2-2 two, two or, or even a 3-2-1 tempo, um, meaning that when you're in the push-up position, your, your, your arms are straight, you're gonna go down for four seconds and you're gonna hover at the bottom for two seconds and then you know come up for either one or two seconds depending on the tempo that you choose. And I think that's really something to, to focus on because people can do five or six of them fantastic, especially if they've been doing it. But then you're going to start to see people break down because they have to maintain the five kinetic chain checkpoints at all time, or you're going to have to regress that exercise if they can't hit the number that you're really trying for them to hit. Yeah. And I would say that uh, the push-up can be one of those kind of ego busting exercises because <laughs> a lot of people, I do 40, I do 50, I do 75 push-ups. And generally speaking, in my mind, I'm like, no, you don't. Not the way we would want with perfect execution, time under tension. And when you think about that stability phase or any any type of phase that we're talking about with ideal form and technique, it's not necessarily about the quantity. It's about the quality. It's the time under tension. Your muscles have no idea whether you did six reps or 12 reps. It knows how much tension you put through the muscle, how much 
what phase of training and or what part of the muscle contraction you are focused on. It just knows fatigue and it knows that it's going to, you know, hit the type one muscle fiber types or the type two muscle fiber types or both, depending how you sequence them. So we can kind of put these repetitions, they're guidelines, but when people say, well, I used to do 30 pushups, I can't slow down and only do 10 now. It's like, wait a minute, your body thinks you're actually doing more work with that lesser <laughs> amount. We see this a lot. And the pushup is a perfect example where people can get humbled very quickly. So again, we're not here to talk about how to protect the egos and the personalities <laughs> because we, we've talked about that in a lot of our match instructor roundtables of, okay, you know, the science is this, the art of training is that. So again, we're not going to dive into that much right now, but this is Wendy saying is, have you tried that push up this way? It is absolutely humbling. And we're not even talking about just doing, 50, you know, 12 to 20, you're doing this for sets as well. So anywhere from one to three sets and, you know, anyone, and I know there's someone that's actually one of my clients that's on right now. Um, anyone that's actually, you know, been trained by me, I always say, you know what, this is a very underutilized exercise. That's like, just, it's done in the, in the worst fashion throughout the gym when you're, when, when you know what you're supposed to be looking for. And, you know, we talked about common compensations last time, but the big one, of course, is going to be the head being forward. Their heels are going to want to come together when you're drawing in and squeezing the glutes. And so, you know, the five kinetic chain checkpoints, the tempos, and again, we just mentioned stabilization, but the same thing goes throughout the entire model. When you're in strength, we're looking more for a two zero two. Um, and then power, when we say XXX, for those of you guys that are new, it's just as explosive, as fast as you can control. Not as possible because people can do them really, really fast. It's again, we're talking about the quality of the movement to make sure that you're executing things correctly, because if not, we're going to increase compensation and we're going to increase the chances of injury, which is why people hire you as a trainer <laughs> in the beginning, too, is to make sure that doesn't happen. Yep. And as we go through, I see some comments coming in right now. Feel free to add those in there. The questions we will either get to them during or at the end. But, and, you know, one of the comments here from Ben is such an underutilized and appreciated movement. Absolutely. It's that I like calling it a moving plank. So it's always a great exercise. But I do got to give a shout out to Patricia. We got somebody in here from Buffalo. I'm originally from Buffalo. Go Bills. Live in Florida, but I'm still still from Buffalo. So now we can move back into the content. I'm just saying. Well, and I'm probably not supposed to say this, but Ben is actually one of my my clients. So wow. there you have it. Yes. Good job. So anything positive <laughs> about you, I can throw right out the window because he's trying to <laughs> prevent a hard workout tomorrow. Uh, well, he's, he's doing it on his own now. He's learned. That's the beauty of it. And that's what we say. Let's teach and then let go. And then when you have questions, you come back. And so, but Marty, why don't you talk to us a little bit about like the mechanical advantages versus disadvantage? Like when, when people see that, what do you mean by that? Yeah, we're going to cover this more in future slides. So this is kind of like our high level, what we're going to talk about today. So we went through the phase of training. Now, when we look at mechanical advantage, disadvantage, this goes for all exercises, but we're going to really focus in on a pushup because there's a lot of pushup variations. And we'll talk about, well, what happens if your feet are above your hands or your hands are above your feet? These are opportunities for you to really dissect the exercise and find a way to give it to anybody. Because a lot of people think a push-up, drop and give me 20, like we talked about last week. Well, that's not going to be proper for the majority of people. Maybe they have the strength in the chest, but they don't have the core stability, right? So you're going to have to find regression. So we're going to dissect it a little bit deeper into the, in today's topic about how to position people so they can execute that push-up form and technique with ideal without compensation, ideal form, and then you start to use mechanical advantage or disadvantage to make the exercise harder or easier. 
And then there's some people that are absolute dynamites. I'm sure Ben is one of them if he's trained with Wendy. <laughs> that we need to find a mechanical disadvantage in a way. So that way it's harder than just maybe the standard push-up. So we're going to cover some of that and give some really fun examples. And we won't cover all of it, but the concepts will be there on how you can walk through your facility or in their home and truly challenge people appropriately. Yes. And then, you know, we're going to talk about the tools, some accessories, and then of course, some misconceptions and then things just to think about. We say no-nos, but I mean, you know, you guys are you guys are trainers. You're understanding the five kinetic chain checkpoints. You understand what can be beneficial for someone. So, you know, we're just going to give you things to think about. And hopefully by the end of this, you guys will maybe change some of your ways or maybe not. Maybe we can give you some things to add into your program that maybe you haven't thought about. And again, shockingly, Wendy, you, you say something that we never thought we were going to cover and it, it gives a light bulb moment. I had to relearn a lot of stuff when I came out of college. I came out of college with my degree in sports medicine from Buffalo, New York at Canisius College. Just, you know, again, throw that in there when I can. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, so if, if you're new to these concepts, don't get frustrated. We, we're always in a process of learning more. And sometimes learning more is relearning and changing some of the things you had learned before. That's, that's, that's what we're lifelong students for. So, again, I know sometimes you're like, wait a minute you know, I need to do this differently. Yeah, that's exactly what Wendy and I are here for is to open up the thought process, give some new concepts. And even sometimes it's just a little tweak to take your progressions or your career to a whole nother level. Absolutely. Good points, Marty, right. <laughs> as always. At least I can check out now. I made a couple of good points. <laughs> well, thanks for joining us. Um, so when we talk about the phases of training, you know, what you want to think about, what is it that you're trying to accomplish? And so when we're talking about stabilization and muscle endurance, of course, we're really focusing a lot on the stabilizers. I mean, the prime mover obviously is going to be, you know, it's going to be working. That's what's going to help you produce the movement. But the stabilizers that protect the joint are super important. And that's why we, we really emphasize so much on the eccentric contraction of that when you're going in the downward direction. And, you know, any like you said, anybody can kind of power them out. But when you slow things down and you get everything working at the in the right, you know, we always say neuromuscular efficiency, which just to reiterate, just means that things are working in the right plane, plane of motion at the right time and firing the way that they were intended to fire. That's what we're really focusing on in phase one. And the same thing when you're looking at, um, you know, when you're looking at doing a push up or any of the exercises, you have to have body awareness. Mm -hmm. And if you start to see compensation, you need to regress at that moment because we've talked about this multiple times. Your brain is a computer and you're trying to make sure that you're uploading very positive information because as soon as you start downloading bad things, then that becomes your new norm. And then you're producing movements that are not ideal. Um, and, and then you're just feeding into those compensations. Absolutely. And then, you know, Marty, you're going to end up talking about some of the other ones. But the big one, too, is when you're thinking about not just the tempo, the tempo is super, super challenging, maintaining proper form. But we're going to talk about changing your base of support. When is it ideal? When is it mm, maybe you need to pull back? We're going to give you some ideas. And then remember, in phase one, we're looking for 12 to 20 reps. So it's moderate to high reps and slowing things down. So it's very, very challenging. Yeah. And, you know, the key thing when I start to teach this for the first time to people that are brand new to the model, or a lot of times when I get fitness enthusiasts, you know, I'll be out at dinner with friends or, you know, people they're like, oh, you're in the fitness industry, you know, and they want to understand at a, a very high level what we do. It's all about first 
quality of movement. That's what we teach between corrective exercise and stabilization endurance, not about quantity of movement. It's can you move well? And Wendy just went through all the little scientific bullet points. But if you had to discuss that to one of your clients quickly, because I was uh, you know, messaging back and forth someone on Facebook about how do you talk about this? It's about improving human movement. All those little bullet points is how you do it. Then we go and move well under load, and then we move well at high speed. So that's why this model is built there. So it's so important that every rep, every exercise, every set is done perfectly. So you now, that becomes your normal movement pattern. It is very hard for people to relearn movement patterns when they've been strong in a sense, or they're, that's their norm, and you're changing them. So again, as you prescribe those exercises, Make sure the form and technique is perfect because that is how you elicit a new response and change their quality of movement to the better. So it's either right or it's either wrong. Yes. And, and, you know, you just said it. I mean, the stair step is there for a reason. You know, you're only and we've we've said this multiple times, but the purpose and the reason the model works is you're only as strong as you are stable and you're only as as you know powerful as you are strong and stable. And so it really does build build off of each other. And that's with every exercise. And we've said this and I keep saying that because I feel like we keep repeating this every webinar. It's very important to remember that no matter what. If you are going to give an exercise, you have to immediately know in your head what is a progression and what is a regression, mm -hmm. because there are going to be people there that, you know, they come in and you're going to be like their movement pattern is going to be horrible. And then they are dialed and they are money. And you're like, OK, and you want to challenge them. And, and, you know, it's important to reassess every four to six weeks because you will be surprised. Some people need to stay back a little bit longer and maybe that's a programming thing or maybe that's just their body still trying to learn the movements and that's fine. Or maybe they're ready to move on. And and now it's time to, to add, like you said, the strength and then eventually into power. Without a doubt. So the model, as I say, every week is your best friend. There's so much there kind of kind of protecting you. <laughs> and so you just continue to learn the model, master the model. And then from there, the model just becomes second nature to you and the results will follow. And that's why we follow this evidence-based approach. Yes. <laughs> well, so if we go to the next slide and we, we really kind of start to, you know, think about breaking it down the actual push-up, there are going to be some mechanical advantages and disadvantages, which you, you slightly hit on before. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, Marty, I think you, when you put this bullet point in here, I was like, that is the best way to really think about this is it really is about the angle of attack. And so do you kind of want to talk us through that? Sure. So when we put these pictures in here, we try to find the best form and technique possible. So if there's a slight anterior tilts in the pelvis, things like that, <laughs> we catch it. It bothers us. So the so just understand that we're grabbing these from the resources we have off the Internet. So I just always got to say that because there's always that we, we find the best ones we can, but sometimes it's just not perfect. But mm -hmm. so I like to use the term angle of attack. It's where am I positioning the body in relation to gravity? And when especially when we're working in these exercises here with body weight. And am I trying to unload the, the muscular system that's doing the prime mover? Now, remember, it's a full body exercise. If you really think about a push-up, everything should be working to stabilize why certain muscles are using and being the prime movers. So it really comes down to what's appropriate and where can I position them relative to gravity to handle their percentage of body weight that they can control precisely all their kinetic chain checkpoints with ideal form and technique and the right sets, the right reps and the right tempo. 
So I don't just randomly grab these exercises. We could go through all four of these exercises and spend 10 minutes talking about it. But when you look at it, you've got, if we look at the top left and we'll go around like a clock. So, you know, that is where she's unloaded the most for the prime mover. Then you can see as we go to the right, she's at a, um, an angle that's making her carry more of her body weight. Yes, there's going to be some instability there because of the suspension trainer. Correct. We're, we're not going to get into that component to it yet. Then when we go down just below her, now that is more of a neutral position, but he has his feet in the suspension trainer. So now we have to incorporate the instability in the core. And then finally, we're loading somebody even more with a higher percentage of their body weight on the last picture. So as we go through, we have to find variations of these. And also, it could be the first set. They start on the first exercise and they crushed it. Okay, let's change the angle of attack for the second set. Boom, they're, as Wendy would quote, money. And <laughs> then all of a sudden, third set, you try to progress them again. And all of a sudden, their form of technique or their tempo, well, we need to know what the regression is, right? So sometimes you can use all three or four of these versions in one exercise progression over a workout. Or maybe this is week one, week two, week three, week four. Hard to say. But you have to have these in your mindset. And then you have to know what's in your facility. So Again, then we'll talk about some of the modalities there. So before we get into that, Wendy, did I cover kind of that angle of attack well? You did. And, you know, and one of my best friends when I'm in the gym is that Smith machine specifically mm -hmm. for push-ups as well as the inverted row. But, um, you know, when when you're thinking about that and you I, and I we talked a little bit about this in, in series one. So if you guys did not catch that, I would I would strongly suggest you going back and listening to that because I think we gave some good tips. But if, if this is the first time that you're, you're hearing us talk about push-ups, the Smith machine is really, really a wonderful piece of equipment with push-ups for people that have wrist problems. Um, and that's mainly because you obviously can put your wrist in a more neutral position, which will take some of the stress off. But you also want to think about the client themselves. And what I mean by that is if you have someone that comes in and you know that they will feel defeated if you're saying let's do a push-up on the knees then like you said your angle of attack is going to be important and you know if you know that they should be doing a push-up on the wall or like you have Marty the push-up with the, of the lady that's on the step um, because that's where they really do need to be in order to properly conduct the movement then you know obviously you're going to have to think about the client. So if you give, and I'm going to use a male as an example, instead of putting a man on the floor on his knees, then maybe put, you know, the, the bar in their hands and then adjust it down to where they can get to the floor. So I think it's great positioning. It's a great way to keep someone off their knees, really trying to dial in. But just as a reminder, if you are going to put someone on the knees because you did need to regress them, just make sure those feet stay on the ground. And, um, and, you know, we went into detail as of why, but, but it's yep. super important. So I'm going to come back to the suspension trainer here in a second, but we got a question here. Uh, if someone is able to do a push up from her feet on the floor with correct form and the right, oh, here it comes. Perfect. Um, so let me jump right tempo for phase one, but only able to do five reps. Should we stop at that number or regress for the rest of the reps? So if they're only doing five, you may need to regress that first five as well. If you got to like 12, you could cut it. Or if you're like, you know what? I want to get them to 20. So I want them to have a regression for the last eight reps. I'm cool with that. But if they're that far off and they can only do five, I'm not going to make the tempo change. I'm not going to make the reps change because now I'm not 
I call it the recipe, the cookbook. I'm not cooking for stabilization endurance. So I would regress even further than the five reps. Now, it could be that somebody can't do any type of their body weight. They may have to stand or sit and do bands. If that's the regression to get them in push-ups eventually, that's cool too. So great question, but you need to be at that minimum amount of numbers. Then you have the choice to regress if you want to finish the repetitions from the 12 to 20. But if you're only at five, find even a further regression. And if it's not a push-up right now, it can be a band press, and that is totally fine. That's where that person's at. And what, one key thing that I would tell you too, if you're not sure, start them more elevated because mm -hmm. then you can be like, that was amazing. And then you can start dropping them down because, you know, if you put someone on the floor, they only get five and you're like, oh man, your goal was 12 or 20 mm -hmm. or whatever the number was. And the tempo again is super important. As Marty said, there's a purpose for that tempo. Then, you know, you don't want to be like, well, you couldn't do that. So now let's regress you, you know, that, that doesn't make anyone feel good. And it's hard as a trainer to say that. And so, you know, starting someone more upright and that's why I say, you know, use, you know, use a something stable. It doesn't have to be, you know, a bar, but I mean, that's an easy one. Or even against the push up, like, hey, I want to teach you the technique before I lower you down. Then then they don't it doesn't sound like you're trying to regress them from the start. However, you are just to see how they move and to make sure that they own that. So maybe just start everyone a little bit more regressed and then see if you can progress them because then you can give them all kinds of kudos. It makes them feel great and it's a win-win for both. Outstanding. And, and before we jump to the next slide, I wanna talk about, um, no, before we go to the next slide, sorry, uh, the suspension trainer. So when you look at this here again, you know, I talked about the angle of attack first and I said, I'd come back. So when we look at the suspension trainer, yes, there's a component of stability we have to look at. I just wanted to find another angle, but then I wanted this slide in here to show the suspension training because we have to factor in, is that the right angle as well as do they have the stability now that I put them on a suspension trainer? Because for us, it may not seem unstable, but for somebody the first time it may. So now you have another component of instability as well as the angle attack. And let's go back to what Wendy said. And I promise we don't script this. This is just the material speaking to us. <laughs> You're only going to be as strong as you are stable. I always say you can't fire a cannon from a canoe, right? So all of a sudden you go to change the angle of attack and you go right to a suspension trainer. All of a sudden now it's too hard for them. You may have to go back to the same angle and understand that that instability now is what is going to be your defining factor. So just again, you should have played around with these yourself and understand and feel what those progressions and regressions are like. But what's easy for us may not be easy for somebody else. And then also when you put your hands on the floor and your body weights above you, et cetera, or you're using a suspension trainer, understand there's going to be more activation in all those muscles of the shoulder and the scapula, which is phenomenal. But again, the chest might be able to handle that work. But now you're going you're to see maybe even a quicker fatigue in the shoulder complex. So just some things to think about. We want that. I mean, that's phenomenal for the shoulder complex, shoulder girdle in the cervical spine, core, all that. Just, you know, be aware of it as you start to change those positions and or modalities. Yes. And I remember the first time I did a TRX push-up, I'm like, oh my goodness, it was, it was, I was everywhere just because I wasn't used to it. So remember when the first time you guys, if you've never done suspension training, you definitely want to try it yourself because then you realize how much you really do need to draw in, keep good good alignment. And like you said, Marty, if, if someone's just now kind of learning their body and you're really starting to get their stabilizers, you know, to kick in and work the way that they were intended to work, 
I mean, it's hard for some people to keep their elbows in a certain, you know, certain um, in space, you know, a certain safe safe distance because sometimes they're all over the place and then you don't want them to face plant. So safety first, obviously, but, um, but I would tell you maybe don't do suspension training in the very beginning. Um, give yourself like a couple weeks of, or even a couple sessions of working to see where this person is just to be safe. Yeah, and one of the things tying back Wendy to how you said about, you know, always starting off easier and then, or when you're introducing a new modality, my clients were very used to the term, we're going to do a ladder and all the, it's not technical. Don't look it up in any SMs material. This is just how I communicate with my clients. It built in that protection. So what I would say is, okay, let me show, you know, tell show do first five reps. I want you here. Next five reps. I want you here. And then if I needed to move them back the next five reps, they didn't understand it was aggression. They just thought we were doing some ladders where all I meant was ladder is basically it's me saying, I have no idea what you're going to be doing right now. So I may start you here and continue to lower you, or I may bring you back. But I, they never saw it other than, hey, we're going to do different positions throughout this exercise. Mm -hmm. And that way, it was just a term where they knew, don't be surprised if I change your body position. And I would use that as a guide. And then again, going back to that first question about five reps, if I was at 12 or 13 and wanted to get a couple more, I'm like, all right, we're taking a step back to finish up. And they only thought that it was everything was a, a progression in a way. I like that. <laughs> yes. And, and we could spend all day talking about push-up tools and accessories. And so these are just some of the ones, um, you know, we wanted to bring to the forefront for you guys. Um, you know, obviously a, a med ball. And what we mean by that is usually putting one hand on the med ball and one hand on the floor. So you're changing your level. Um, and, and so, you know, you could do that. Uh, I, you can also put both hands on a med ball, but we're going to talk about things to think about if you are going to do that, because think about what's happening at your shoulder, you know, like at the shoulder complex, as well as making sure there's no compensations. Um, stability ball. I love doing pushups on the stability ball. However, what I have found is when people are doing a stability ball pushup, you're putting your hands usually on the kind of upper side of it and kind of squeezing in. When you do that, you're already engaging the pecs, which is one thing I love. Um, but then you have to make sure too, just like when they're on the suspension trainer, that they have the stability, that they don't go face planning. Um, maybe put the, the stability ball up against the wall or you stand there and hold the ball just for safety and make sure that they are kind of over the ball, that it's not you know above their head. So therefore they're pressing and putting their shoulders in a compromised position. Um, but you also want to think too, you are more upright when you're doing that. So as Marty said, you don't fight gravity as much, but the stability component is definitely increased. So when you're thinking about where your hands are being placed, think about, yes, it's easier because of where they are, but it's harder on a stability standpoint. So definitely keep that in mind. And then if you flip over and you put your feet on top of the ball and your hands are on the floor, now you have more gravity, of course. And so you know, it's, you know, almost kind of like the same thing about doing a decline chest press or doing something like that. You're just in different positionings, still targeting the same prime mover, but you are definitely going to incorporate different stabilizers throughout as well. And one of the tricks I did when I trained men, I'm just going to be honest, is use a stability ball. Um, I, again, it was safe. I had one of the uh, military type uh, benches, you know, where dumbbell press and the, it was heavy enough where I could put the ball elevated and I could be behind it, you know, making sure that it's not going to move. And now they're doing an elevated, stable stability ball. And it was really just a push-up regression. 
and they thought it was the coolest thing ever. And I'm like, you have no idea what I'm actually doing here, but cool. Because then they would give it the time it needed, right? To eventually lower it, then take the ball from being really supported to not supported. But really, they didn't realize that they just weren't going to be capable of something else. But they thought it was a really cool progression. And I'm just like, mm, really, it's regressed, but we're on it, right? Because it's it's about can I get compliance and can they enjoy the process? And that was a great way to do it. Just make sure that if you're going to wedge it or elevate it, it has to be something that is incredibly safe. So that way, you don't cause another problem. <laughs> exactly. And I put sliders in here. I love the sliders. And I mean, I did a video on just how do you do sliders at home? And, you know, basically you can put both hands on a slider and as you go down, you can kind of reach so you can get some some lat involvement in there as well. You can put them on your feet. You can incorporate different, you know, pikes. There's just so many different things that you can do utilizing a push up. However, you want to make sure that they can do a regular push up first. And oftentimes one of the biggest things that I see is people are so worried that their client needs something different. And there's so many cool tools that are out there that they immediately want to jump to those. And remember, you're trying to program good information in. So if you try to, to put them on something that they cannot control, is it really a beneficial exercise? And the answer to that is no. So be, you know, be progressive for sure. You can switch it up. And like Marty said, you know, one time do it with your hands on the Smith machine, one time on the bench, one time on the ball that's you're holding the ball, all still incline, all different. However, you know, you're still working to get them all the way to to ground level, if you will. Yep. Uh, I, was, I was just going to say next, you know, when you're we keep talking a lot about stability, but we also want to think about when you get to the strength phases and, you know, people are like, well, I don't know. How do you you know, how do you do a push up and add weight? You know, and first thing and I don't know why people think this way, but the first thing people are like, well, I'm just going to put 45 pound plates on my back and and then go down and do a push up because I'm adding load. Well, yes. Um, however, think about, you know, is that really the right move? Because they're going to have to really be very dialed in their core, um, because if not, you're putting a lot of excess weight on their lumbar spine, which obviously we want to be very stable. <laughs> and, um, you know, so try to think about things like, you know, using a weight vest or even the big chains. Like I bring out the chains and my, my guys are like, heck yeah, this is awesome. And my girls are like, I got that, you know? And so, you know, but when you're bringing out the chains, these chains have different weights as well. Some of them are a little bit lighter. Some of them are, are very heavy. So even though it might look cool, just make sure that they they can do that when you're talking about external load. And then, of course, the elastic bands. And, you know, I've had people ask, I don't understand how you do it with bands. And basically you would get one of the super super bands. So a, a bigger looped band and you put it in one hand, it wraps around your back. You've got it in the other hand and then you're doing your reps with the resistance. Um, so obviously it's going to go down when you are really going down slow, whether you're in, in strength at a two, you know, two down or four down, whatever it is that you're doing. Um, and then you're pressing up against the resistance of the band as well. So those are just some that I wanted to throw out there. Yeah. And I like the band truly because you're getting more resistance at the end range of motion. And that really kind of tends to force people to do that plus position, mm -hmm. which is always a bonus. So always uh, a bonus. anterior in there. And then, you know, when we finish up with the push-up aids, just because they're cool, understand the biomechanics, 
figure out if they're safe or how you can use them safely. So I'm not saying we're against them, but when you look at the one that you see here, do we really need to be pushing up and forcing into internal rotation? Yes, the pec's going to do some of that motion, but should we force that extra little bit of pec contraction at the risk of internally rotating the weaker link in the shoulder and the rotator cuff? So it's not something that I tend to do because, again, there's enough ways for me to activate the pec without forcing that internal rotation. So I'm not saying not to do it. Just I always see most of my clients are already biased with their internal rotation. So I'm not trying to feed into that as much. And, you know, going back to biomechanics and sports medicine days, that's where we start talking about shoulder impingement and things like that. So it's not something I gravitate to. Doesn't mean you couldn't use them and modify it or just use them and keep them neutral because then you have to try to keep them still. So there's some stability component. Just we want to throw out the question of do we want to force that internal rotation? Good point. I try. I get a couple a day. That's all. It's all <laughs> Well, if we move on, I mean, I know we could like, like I mentioned before, we could spend hours on this, but, you know, people talk all the time about hand positioning and, you know, they're like, well, if I have my hand positioned and right, like what we have here in a diamond pushup, then I'm going to get more tricep out of it. And my, my thought is, well, okay, when you're extending your elbow, you know, think about what the triceps do. So if you're extending the elbow and you actually even have a little bit of shoulder extension, that's when the tricep is going to fully um, be activated when you're thinking about all three heads. And so when you're in a diamond pushup too, think about the five kinetic chain checkpoints and think about, is it safe? Because as Marty just mentioned with the, the twisties, um, I don't want to call them by a specific name, but the, the, the ones that turn, you know, you've got to think about what's happening at the shoulder complex, you know, uh, shoulder complex. And so when you're going down, if you go down, oftentimes people shrug up. Oftentimes people's head will jut forward and then think about the end, the, the amount of um, pressure that you're causing uh, on the anterior portion of your shoulder capsule. And so, you know, when we say risk versus benefit, I'm, I'm not saying don't ever do them if that's something that you really enjoy doing them. It's like, what is, what is the outcome? And are you really getting more tricep out of that? And well, here's, here, here's my question. When people ask about diamond pushups, I want to see someone do a pushup where you don't activate your triceps. Well, that's what I was saying. Anytime that you, you, you extend. It's physiologically impossible, right? <laughs> you just be like bouncing off the ground with your pecs. Like it's, you cannot do a pushup without extending the elbow. So again, you know, I think there's some gym science behind that one because maybe you feel it differently. But again, let's go back to the biomechanics. The tricep has to be working if you're doing any type of pushup. So let's just be as safe as possible. Right. And then I have varying pushups here. And the one thing that I, I wanted to emphasize is we we need to train in all three planes of motion. And that's no different when you're doing a pushup. And so by staggering the hands and by doing, you know, pushups with rotation and different things like that, we're working different planes. And so it's exceptional. But, you know, whenever you try to switch it up or make it, you know, fancy, just think, what is the five kinetic chain checkpoints? Is it safe? And can my client do it without compensation? And and you would be amazed at some of the things people can do where I'm like, there's no way they're going to do this right. And they show me and they own it. And, and, and you're like, great, good for you. So when we think about staggering the hands, you are doing a, a, a great, you know, you're, you're getting, you're still working the, the pecs, you're still doing it, but you are working um, more on the, the, um, transverse plane, which I wanted to throw that in there because 
you know, people have a hard time sometimes visualizing the transfers plane unless they start doing anything with a rotation. So I just wanted to make sure that that we put that in there as a good thing. That is a very good thing. So it's a benefit. Right. Out of, <laughs> out of, so pushups will never be boring again. I hope not. I hope not. So, <laughs> um, but, um, you know, let's talk about some of the programming. I mean, that's why we're here. We wanted to talk about leveling up a pushup. And so if we go and you think about it, just the acute variables as a review, um, again, phase one, 12 to 20 repetitions, one to three sets. I put push up with rotation because people think of a push up as rotation as it's a power dynamic, you know, um, you know, dynamic warm up. And, and it is it is you can definitely be used as an exercise for dynamic warm up. However, think about the tempo and think about changing it up a little bit. So go down for four, hold for two, push up and rotate, come down for four, hold for two, go to the other side and you can stack your feet. You can stagger your feet. You can do so many different things. But you can still do those types of exercises in the stabilization phase. So it doesn't have to be just the quote boring two hands, nothing fancy here. Change your hand positions, change the, the implement that you're using, but focus on form and tempo. Yep. And I've been doing these myself lately and it's like, oh, it's time to do push-ups. And it's, <laughs> you know, I mean, they're, but they're awesome, right? They're fun and they're, they are incredibly effective. And I'm getting out of that sagittal plane. Like we live in that plane. Let's let's get moving. Yes. And then, of course, you know, when we talk about phase two, again, this is my favorite um, phase because it is so hard for me. Um, and it's very hard for individuals when they're first going from something stable into something unstable, utilizing the same prime mover. And yeah. so these are just some examples. And there are a thousand different variations that you can do. But just for the sake of you guys kind of visualizing what we're talking about you're doing just a standard dumbbell bench press it's on something stable and then without a break you're immediately going to go into an unstable push-up so for an example here i have the trx push-up it's very unstable you've got to use your stabilizers but you're also thinking about the rep range and you're going to do a 202 um, chest press immediately into a 421 or a 422 push-up you know so you've got to think about that 16 reps or 24 reps utilizing the same prime mover and the different muscle fibers of fiber one and fiber two. And if anybody has uh, got somebody from a fitness standpoint that's fit enough, but doesn't fully understand stabilization yet, and you don't think they want to try it, give them this. And when they feel what their chest feels like after doing these supersets, they'll start to buy into why they need to do stabilization training. So it's a great way to kind of bit somebody to go willing to go backwards into stabilization training. Yes, that's a definitely, I mean, this is what sells it, the model for me half the time when you've got those people that think we're just the stability people. <laughs> um, plus you want to give them what they want and we give them what they need. There you go, hey, Marty. That's your that quote. From? That's where your quote. That so, uh, well, I pay attention. I know you Rule number this. two. Rule number two, yes. And then phase three, you know, when we're talking about muscle development, you know, we're talking about trying to obviously go from, you know, your rep ranges or anywhere from six, six to 12 reps. You're doing three to five sets. So you're doing more. Um, so now we're increasing the load. This is the perfect time for a weighted vest or even a resisted band. Mm -hmm. And then same thing with, with phase four, you're using a heavy resistance band because you're thinking it's one to five repetitions and you're doing four to six sets. And so when you're thinking of strength, just be creative. Just also make sure that if you're going to load them, that you're loading them in the best and safest um, possible way. So you're not putting a lot of stress on the spine.
Absolutely. You want to take us through power, Marty? Absolutely. Why not? <laughs> so again, getting that explosive, you know, power is always important. So yes, we'll still do that with pushups. Uh, not everyone will have medicine balls to throw or it's not safe or, you know, sometimes you're traveling. So yes, we can still do speed pushups or however we want to do them. So, and that, uh, phase five, you'll see here's just some examples is the banded resisted pushup and then into med ball chest press. So we're doing a heavy pushup. You don't have to have heavy dumbbells. You can use the phase that she, Wendy just went through to elicit that heavy response. And then you go right to a med ball chest press. So you can use the pushup as the heavy strength, or you can, if you have the dumbbells, you can use the traditional dumbbell bench press and then go to plyo pushups. Now, Plyo push-ups, if you Google it and look, it would be that somebody's leaving the ground. I've had people do speed push-ups as an entry. They just go as fast as they can. They don't have to explode off the ground. Again, progressions and regressions. So again, it's just how you use that to the advantage that you want to elicit with the client's abilities. And then finally, in phase six, could totally be if they get to that point and they've earned the right to get there, they can do those true plyo push-ups where they're pushing their entire upper body off the ground. Maybe they're keeping their feet on the ground or there are some people that it's harder, but they can get their whole body off the ground, but they need to be in that beautiful plank position and then land it without collapsing. I tend to see most people do it properly with their feet on the ground, but I'm not going to say it's impossible. So <laughs> the push up can go through all phases of training with almost no need for a lot of external tools, maybe just some bands and a weight vest and you got all the phases covered. And especially with some, I mean, unfortunately, there's still some states that the gyms aren't open. And so when you're programming these, these, you know, this specific exercise, then use some of these examples because a lot of now a lot of people actually own bands and you just have to be creative in, in how you're programming it. But once again, I'm not going to, uh, I can't reiterate this enough, the five kinetic chain checkpoints the entire time, make sure the chin is retracted, make sure you're coming in and adding that plus Marty just talked about that, the serratus interior, that's the purpose of the plus. And, and that does not mean that you're flexing the spine. That means you're pushing all the way through in a protraction position to really get the, that activation. Obviously, we're, we're drawing in, squeezing the glutes, maintaining a neutral spine in the hips. And then remember to keep the feet shoulder to hip width apart. As soon as you bring your heels together, you're using more your adductor magnus than your glute. And that is definitely a muscle that is very overactive in individuals. The glutes are very underactive in individuals. And so we really want to make sure we're firing the right muscles throughout the entire exercise, no matter what phase they're in. Absolutely. Just wanted to do a recap. <laughs> We're not about. Always, Just always. in case. Yes. Um, well, let's talk about, uh, you know, the, the next slide here. So if we move on, um, you know, our key takeaways, uh, Marty and I, we do, our key take, we do these every week. And I, you know, when we get to this slide, when we start, I want you guys to know, we put these together for you and we're always getting to this slide and we're like, Hmm, not a lot has changed. And it's mainly because it's very important to think what are the prime movers of any exercise that you're doing. And so for those of you guys that are new and anatomy scares you, it's not that you have to know origin and insertion. It's not that you have to know exactly what's happening, you know, isometrically and eccentrically and everything through all three planes. However, it is very important that you know the prime mover. Like what are you targeting when you're doing this exercise? And that's to make sure that you're not over programming and causing some chances of, 
of doing too many repetitive movements, utilizing muscles and stabilizers that are getting too, getting worked too much. Um, you know, oftentimes when people do push-ups or they're doing chest day, they don't really think about the anterior portion of their shoulder, their poor anterior delt. Every time you do any kind of chest press, that muscle also has to be engaged. So when you're doing shoulders and chest on the same day, please focus more on the posterior side of your shoulders to give your anterior portion a chance for a break so you don't in, end up with issues with, with your shoulder. Absolutely. And then going through it, proper setup and movement. Again, we talked about either you're doing it right or you're doing it wrong. Doesn't mean you're not going to have some you know, quick changes in their form and technique, but we want that ideal form and technique. And then shockingly, we just always leave the stair <laughs> assessments are the key, right? We, we don't need to reiterate that. That is key. And again, the push-up is an assessment, right? Mm -hmm. So every exercise is an assessment, but we want those formal assessments. And then we have to change those faulty movement patterns. We're either feeding into faulty movement or we're feeding into changing faulty movement. It's really, I know I'm black and white on this one, but every single exercise set rep that I do with ideal form, I'm becoming a better mover. And any set rep that I do with improper form, even if it's slight, remember we used to have cheat reps back in the day. I'm only getting better at that faulty movement pattern. So always, mm -hmm. always working on correcting proper human movement. Got to know your phase of training. Cause again, you take out the recipe book, if we're going for stabilization endurance, you have to follow the sets, the reps, the tempos, the rest intervals, all the way through the model. That's where you get the best results by following those acute variables. And then for every single phase, every single exercise, you got to know your regressions when needed. You just don't know when someone, you know, they could be dialed in day one and the next day, you know, they didn't sleep well, whatever stress. And now you need a little bit of a regression. That's okay. Or if you want to take them to a whole nother level and go from 12 reps to 15, Maybe just for those extra three reps, you need that regression. So you always got to have that game plan as you go through your training sessions. I think that's super important. And, you know, and people will often say, why is the tempo so important? And guys, it's really important because every we, we put the tempo based on science and what the what what is your goal? And remember, when we talk about the phases of training, you are working on building specific adaptations for your body to be able to get whether it's it's, it's um, stabilization endurance, whether it's you're focusing on strength endurance or muscle development. You, there's a certain process, like you said, Marty, I mean, the recipe book is there to really help any individual get to any goal safely. And I say this all the time, safely, effectively and efficiently. And it's really, you know, you are going to help them learn more about themselves and movement, because at the end of the day, if you set them free and they're moving with ideal and perfect form, that's a good representation of how good a trainer you are because it's in their mind. And we want them every time to walk into the gym to, to be that my feet need to be straight. You need to be, you know, sucking in your stomach and squeezing your butt and where's your head. You want to be that, that person that lives in their head while they're at the gym or even while they're doing anything in, in daily life. So it's, you know, we, we reiterate the, the importance of the model Marty and I do that because we've been using it for over 20 years, which is crazy Whoa. to think. I know. And, and it works. And that, you know, people keep saying, well, how, how, you know, how are you successful? It's because I use the model. I stay with the model and I'm very honest with my clients. Yep. I couldn't, couldn't say it any better myself. So Wendy, how can they get a hold of you? Well, as always, if you guys want to find me on Instagram, you will just go to wendy.bats13 or you're welcome to email me at any time at wendy.bats at nasm.org. Excellent. And then for my info, for my Instagram, it's dr.martymiller72. 
and then email marty.miller at nasm.org. In addition, though, uh, Wendy and I both do one other thing uh, weekly. <laughs> so, Wendy, go ahead and um, plug your um, podcast. Yes. So, I am. Um, I actually partner up with uh, Ken Miller, who is another, another Miller. The other Miller. I've got so many Millers in my life, guys. <laughs> um, but we do a podcast. Um, it's called Random Fit. You can download it anywhere that you listen to podcasts. And we talk about random things in the fitness industry. So we've gone from specific products all the way to what are people wearing at the gym. Um, I think it's super fun. We really enjoy doing them. We do try to bring in some science behind it. And uh, we would love to have you join us and download it and let us know what you think. Excellent. And then for me, I do the coffee talks now just on Tuesdays. So I see someone's asking there. So I do them Tuesdays, generally around 930. But again, depending on schedule, but you will see them on Tuesdays. So you can obviously go back onto NASM's Instagram and you can watch the ones that I recorded before. I just go on there and hang out. Like I love it because it's not scripted and we get into some really cool conversations live. So, you know, bring your questions, feel free to email me ahead of time. I will go through those. Obviously, if I know uh, somebody took the time to email a question, but we're getting, uh, you know, some great conversations going and it's just a very organic non-scripted conversation about anything, fitness, career, et cetera. So I truly enjoy doing that. So awesome. So thank you to our producers, Wendy. It was another great master instructor roundtable, if I do say so myself. And <laughs> we got some cool stuff coming up in the next couple of weeks. So guys, we look forward to seeing you again next week.